Welcome to the Quantum Alignment Q&A, Humboldt series, where we traverse through an array of healing modalities to educate, empower, and excite our listeners on their path of holistic health and wellness. In sharing various practitioners' experiences and insight, we hope to cultivate a deeper relationship between one's true self, the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional bodies. Join naturopath, transpersonal psychologist, and cannabis therapy consultant, Dr. Pepper Hernandez, in the Humboldt Quantum Alignment Series. And now, here is your host, Dr. Pepper Hernandez. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for making time to be present with us today. I have a special guest with us to share some really awesome information. I've been waiting for this man to be present in the office for a really long time now, a couple months for sure. Uh, Sita Ram Das has served his beloved teacher, Ram Das, who we all know is legendary, for several years in Maori. He is going to talk to us today a little bit about that, also about his commitment to the path of bhakti yoga. Very interested in what he has to say, as well as him spending his time singing kirtan teaching and serving the community at large hello hey. welcome here yeah thanks for having so me so stoked that you're here listeners he walked in with salmon colored pants <laughs> which i'm in love with salmon colored pants at this time i have been for a couple years so if you wear them and you rock them that's a sign of confidence. There you go. I love it. Thank you for wearing <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for giving me the shout out for the pants. <laughs> you had no idea that was going to happen. Nope. I really, I mean, I'm totally in love with that. And I think it's the color of pink. It's that vibratory color of pink. Sure. You know, I, I just love that. So, well, tell me a little bit about um, what you're doing here in our community. Um. Right, in terms of the offerings yeah, that I'm providing. Yeah, or anything. What are you yeah. doing today? What's happening? Sure, what am I up to? <laughs> so the main thing that people know me for here in this community is chanting kirtan, um, which is call and response chanting of sacred mantras from Sanskrit. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. The other thing people know me for is, um, you know, Shamaya and I have put together um, a bhakti yoga kind of immersion that we do every year. <gasps> I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's exciting. And I love her, by the way. She's amazing. She's a doll. We should have her on the show. You should. But yeah, she is an incredible just source of knowledge and wisdom and just really deep embodied wisdom. Um, yeah, we've done it now for two years and it's going strong. Um, so it's just it's a mix of um, teaching people the tools they need so that they can incorporate bhakti yoga practice into their own sadhana, their own daily practice. Um, and then also, you know, the ability to bring in you know, whatever kind of music knowledge is necessary so that you could begin to chant these simple chants on your own. So that's an offering that we've done. So before I talk more about Kirtan, I, I really need to talk about Bhakti Yoga. Yeah. Which is really the heart of it all. And it's really the heart of my path and what has offered me healing. I mean, it's really my kind of grounding rod. In the simplest terms, Bhakti Yoga is the yoga, the path of love and devotion towards God. But the way that we understand the term God, um, we have a lot of different understandings like in Western culture of what that means. And a lot of us maybe were turned off from that word from a young age because of some notion of like an old white guy in the sky with a beard that just judges us, right? Almost kind of like a Santa Claus figure yeah. or something, <laughs> you know, putting us on like a naughty or good list. Oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> I mean, this yeah, is yeah, kind of yeah. like, okay, gotcha. like Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the ancient Vedas, the Sanatana Dharma, you know, in the East, in India, Hinduism, um, in these traditions, you know, God is clearly defined. Um, and it's not, it's a very specific term. In fact, there's multiple terms because there's a very nuanced um, and in-depth understanding of like what that term means. So the first thing to understand is we're not talking about something that's separate from us, right? This is what's known as our true eternal nature. So it's that place in our being that's deeper than our mind, it's deeper than our body, it's deeper than our thoughts and our emotions, it's deeper than our name. 
Um, it's deeper than our social roles, whether we're a father or mother or a child or a teacher. Um, it's deeper than the ups or downs of life. Um, so it's that place that's always present, that never changes, that was never born, that can never die. And so bhakti yoga is the path of falling in love with that, right? And the simplest word for that place is, is love, right? I mean, we're talking about love. So we're falling in love with love itself. And it's said that this practice, over time, it enables us to inhabit our own heart more deeply, more securely, so that we rest in it throughout our day. We still have the ups and downs of life. We still experience sickness and old age and death. But we start to cultivate a space that can hold all of that rather than being quite so pulled in all of those directions. So Kirtan is a practice of bhakti yoga. And it's the practice of chanting very specific mantras that are known as the holy names. So these are names that are said to be of that place, right? They're said to be our true names. These are the names of God. These are the names of goddess. They're the names of love. And it's said by chanting them, gradually but inevitably, we start to orient ourselves towards our heart, right? And so that's what the practice of kirtan is. It's done in a group. Um, you know, and it's with music. We're singing it. There's kind of a certain technology to it. You know, you can do these practices alone. You can do them silently. And that's like japa practice, silent mantra. That's a really powerful practice, but there's a reason why in Kirtan we come together as a group and we're singing them, right? It's, it's, it's a technology of opening the heart. Um, and in community, we help each other. So when the first person in the room and their heart blossoms, um, it helps all the other people in that room for their hearts to do the same. Um, and it helps me to do the same. And so we help each other in that way by being in that open-hearted space. And it's really important in this time, I've found... There's really nothing about the reward mechanisms of our culture that promote us walking around with an open heart. It's oftentimes really comfortable and safe to you know, be closed off. I find that's often true for me. And so any opportunity we can get where we can come together in community and open our hearts and remind ourselves of like what life's really about, what we're really about, it just helps us to re-engage in the world in a good way. I love how you explain all that. Thank you. It makes yeah. it very easy and tangible for a listener who may not know those terms or that's not familiar with that to really understand what that is. So thank you for going so deep in detail because it's really, really important. How did you come to this place? I mean, you didn't just, you weren't just born and then, oh, I know to start <laughs> chanting. I mean, maybe some of us were or some people were but really like how did you come into this particular practice and I have a million questions for you sure because <laughs> um, I'm very very excited to have you but how did you get to this place and, and come to Humboldt and, and be able to start sharing that and making community here like what's that in short what's the quick story sure quick version so the start of it really was in my late teens, early 20s, you know, I was very much in a period of life where I was seeking, you know, just seeking out the deep mysteries of life. That's kind of like the terminology that I would use at that time. And it was very much like a search for meaning, although at the time I also had a lot of um, healing I needed to go through that I wasn't even really fully aware of or like wasn't able to be even honest with myself about, you know, just like being a young man and feeling like everything had to be okay and whatever. So, you know, a lot of that stuff was kind of stuffed down. Intuitively, though, I think that there was an intuitive kind of deep understanding that that quest for meaning was intimately tied in with my own healing, um, although I wasn't necessarily consciously aware of it. So it really started out with psychedelics. I mean, that's really, I owe them everything. I wouldn't have ever found the path if it wasn't for my first openings on psychedelic substances. Um, I really do believe that they can be healing medicine if used in the right way. Um, that's not to say that they're for everyone, and it's not to say that they're just an innately good thing. You know, um, they can be abused, and, you know, it can be dangerous for certain people to use them in the right, not in the right context. But for me, they're very healing. And basically, they what is what first showed me that glimpse of that love within that I was speaking of earlier. And so that led me to really seek out, like in various religious texts, holy books, 
various spiritual teachings, just these truths found in different religions. And for all of the research I did, although I found that the truth is everywhere, I mean, I really strongly in my research and all of the various traditions I've been a part of and studied with, um, I, you know, that love, that unconditional love, that eternal presence of love, I mean, it's, it's universal. There's not one culture, there's not one religion I haven't found it in. But the person whose writing spoke to me the most that I felt like I didn't, I had to do the least amount of translating, you know, like it just, the words just like spoke right to me, um, was Ram Das. And the first book was Be Here Now, like it was for I'm many so of us. I'm so in love with him, by the way. Yeah. Just so me, in love. Me so too. So in love. And uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but listeners, if you don't know who this is, we will put some links on the website because it's someone who's extremely influential, not just in our lives um, as the speakers, but also just across the world. I mean, he is phenomenal. So tell me all about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and then on to that point, um, not only has he influenced a lot of people individually, but he's been a major influence on a lot of major like world thinkers and, you know, there's a lot of people who maybe they're not publicly talking about it, but who that book specifically, his teachings have really influenced them and the spread of like, you know, yoga in the West, you know, even people like Jayutal and Krishnas who are like leading like Kirtan Wallace, Kirtan Singers you know, they were students of Ram Dass. Um, you know, Steve Jobs talked about Be Here Now as like the reason why he first went to India. You know, I mean, it's like really deep, the influence that he's had. And it's still reverberating today. Still young people today like me come across Be Here Now at that perfect moment and it just like speaks to us. So I found that book and it really spoke to me. And then over time, I just started gravitating towards his other books. You know, he's written many books throughout his life. None of them are as well known as Be Here Now, but they're all just as profound. Um, and I was just eating them up. You know, I mean, it was just like candy. Like, I just couldn't get enough of it. And at some point, I had the idea, you know, that there was all of these people that I was really influenced by that I wish I could have met. Like, you know, people like Aldous Huxley and Allen Ginsberg and... Like just really cool people um, that I was really inspired by. But the person at the top of that list was Ram Das, and he was still alive. Um, and so I just, I realized that I just really wanted, if there was any chance to possibly meet him, I wanted to do what I could to try and make that happen. So I told a few friends about this. I was living in Seattle, Washington at the time. I grew up in Washington State. And I went to college in Seattle and lived there for a few years. And so a lot of my close friends, actually these two friends I'm still very close to, who I told about my desire to meet him. And I even said, you know, I'm even thinking like, I think I should just move to Maui. Because I just thought if I was there, like I saw that sometimes he gave talks on the island. That's where he's living now. That maybe Then I could just like see him talk. I mean, that was like my whole, like, you know, it's so open in life. I didn't have some direction. Like that was like my whole... That was my whole plan I'd come up with. One of my friends said, well, why don't we just go try and meet him? And I was just like so high in the moment. We looked up plane tickets <laughs> and then we saw that there was plane tickets like for dirt cheap, like cheaper than I've ever seen from Seattle to Maui. It was like $260 round trip. And we were just like so high in the moment. And so we just like bought them without like doing any thinking. None of it made sense. Like we didn't have any connection. There's no reason why we thought we would just like go and be able to meet him. So we bought them and then like shortly after realized that it was like kind of a crazy idea. And I start having like all these doubts, like what am I, like this is like weird. So I start like actually doing research and finding out that like through the website that he would do um, heart to hearts with people over Skype. So I contacted that person and it's like, hey, I'm gonna be on Maui anywhere. Maui anyway, could I come and meet him? I also sent like two or three pages of like words of like why I should meet him and like all these experiences <laughs> I've had and I'm like really embarrassed about it just now. The, just that the Maui tickets were so cheap is like enough for me. I'd been like, that's a God moment. Like right. I'm supposed to go. Like that's right. just how I am though. But right. you know, I would, I would not have had doubts later. I would not have hesitated. I'd have been like, click. Yeah, that's just how I am though. I didn't get a response, which was, um, so that was like the first kind of like, like, oh, you know, kind of like reality check. 
But then something happened during that time. I, did, I also started getting into Krishnadas. And, you know, Krishnadas and Ramdas, um, they had the same guru. Krishnadas sings Kirtan. So I'd listen to him on Pandora, like the internet radio. So I'm listening to Krishnadas all the time. And I had just found out, like, relatively recently in that time that they even had the same guru. Like, I didn't even know. And I was like, you know, that felt like a synchronicity aligning up. So then I look up, I'm like, well, when is Krishnadas coming to Seattle to do a Kirtan? And he was coming the day before we were leaving to go to Maui. See, now that you're on it. You're in a flow. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it was like this moment it. where it was just it. like, okay, I still don't understand this. It's still really crazy. But I just like, and I still had doubts in my mind, but like in my body, in my heart, like I just knew it was yeah. going to work. So I sent another email. It was much shorter, a little bit like more concise. And I did get a response and it said something along the lines of, you know, I passed on your information. As you know, Ramdas is very busy and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, if he has the time, they may call you. It was like a very kind of canned response. But I just knew it was going to work. And it did. You know, we were there and we were just hitchhiking around, sleeping on beaches. And then I, we got the call and got to go and see him. And he's in a wheelchair now. Yes. You know, he had a stroke when he was in his 60s. He's now 87. When I met him, he was, gosh, 80, I guess. No, earlier than that, 78? I don't know. Like, you know, that was like nine years ago. So he's in a wheelchair, you know, he wheels out and we met with them and it was amazing. It was like everything I wanted. You know, I was both like starstruck and like kind of nervous, but also just there was this palpable presence that you could feel. And it just really showed me that, yeah, like all of the teachings that he talks about, like it really is real. Yeah. And it was my friend that said this because I wouldn't have had the nerve, although it was my idea. He said, you know, Ramdas, we really are thinking about just moving to Maui so we can be close to you. So if you have any work done need, that you need done around the house, like we'll come do it. <laughs> if you need any work done around the house. Yeah, that's what he that's said. That's hilarious. <laughs> and he said. Um, I said, okay. <laughs> he said, uh, well, you know. I've been given this house to live in, you know, while I'm still alive, but the property is a little bit too big for us to manage. And so sometimes it's like a little bit too much. We could oh use some God. help. That so was we, really how you got to start living with him was that question. Well, it was like a little bit. <laughs> I know, I know. I yeah. know it was a little bit more than that. But <laughs> He said, if you happen to be on Maui, there's probably something you could do. And that was it. That's like incredible. That was, yeah, that was like all I needed. So after that week, I went back, I quit my job. You know, I like just, I moved to Maui. I found this guy, I slept on his back porch for a while. I was paying him like $100 a month in rent. And then I just started calling the house when I got there. Um, and I didn't get an answer for a few weeks. Finally, Dasima, who's his main caretaker, answered the phone and said, yeah, you can come. It was on a Wednesday morning. Um, come at eight. You can come work in the garden for three hours. I just thought I was going to volunteer. Um, and they ended up paying me. And I was like, this is great. I could just live off this. <laughs> so for a period of time, I was just Ramdas's gardener. Um, and then, you know, I'd go to all of his talks and just go and garden. And then after a while, of, you know, building a relationship, they always needed someone like a younger person. Because even though Dasima is his main caretaker, she's also older. She was in her 60s. Now she's in her 70s. They just wanted someone, you know, younger and like, you know, strong that could pick him up if he fell or things like that. Um, and so they asked me to move in. Wow. And so that's how I got to be there with them. Leaving that situation had to have been a really hard struggle for you because how long were you with him? So I was there on my for three years and I was working for him the whole time. But I wow. lived there at the house for over two years. Of that so time. making that choice to to then come back to the mainland or something that had to have been... A yeah, tough one. It was. It was. Um, it was. And first, before I say that, I just share real quick, like, why my time there was so meaningful. I really got to see firsthand um, what it looks like when someone has lived a life of authentic spiritual practice. So, yeah. you know, when you see someone on a stage you know, it's really easy to project. And also, like, I even know from experience, like, when I'm in front of a group doing kirtan, like, I hold, you know, a deeper space than I might necessarily do in my day-to-day -day life. So when I 
get to live with Ramdas. I get to see like w- what he's like just in the mornings, yeah. you know, late at night. His body's always in physical pain at some level. I mean, he takes care of himself. You know, he gets acupuncture and diet and all these things. But when you're in an 87-year-old body, when you've had a stroke and you're in a wheelchair, I mean, there's just like physical pain. And he has like a lot of extreme like physical issues he's dealing with. Um, And then the stroke affected, you know, his ability to speak, which that causes some suffering also. But with all that, there's just this real depth of presence that he emanates and that he rests in, that it's real. Like he's, he just really lives from his heart, as far as I can tell, throughout the entire day. I mean, you know, the, the suffering that he has in his body, the moments when maybe he gets frustrated or whatever, I mean, for him, they really are just like clouds passing through this like vast sky of being. And being around someone like that that holds that deep space of love, I mean, it's, it's infectious, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, it just, it, 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 it brings out those qualities in yourself. And so it just, it felt really good to be around him. I felt like that was the number one thing I learned even more than any teaching he gave was just, just that That's presence wonderful. and just how to be with another person, you know, with an open heart in that way. So on the one hand, like leaving was hard. It was a hard choice. There was a point in time when I felt like I was just going to stay there until he left his body. But I also, I got this hit at one point and it was the same hit what I got when I first came to Maui. You know, those rare moments when you just like have this deep knowing to do something. And I just really felt like I needed to leave to go to India and um, travel and, and see a lot of the temples that... Um, are part of you know my lineage that Ramdas had visited that that the, his guru and my guru and the guru of our lineage Neem Karoli Baba like the temples of him, and that's really what led me. But there was also a deeper recognition I didn't fully get yet that to really embody those teachings I really had to like I had to be in the world yeah. you know and just navigate the stresses of paying rent and being in relationship and all of that. Life is about transitions. Yeah. Right. So thank you so much for sharing those intimate stories and details of your life. I really appreciate it. So now you are a writer for the Be Here Now Network, correct? Or you've been writing articles? Yeah, I'm not a writer for them. Like I'm not, but they've published a few of my writings. And those are on like spirituality and activism mainly, Mm -hmm. right? That's kind of what you write about. Right. So that's one of my main, you know, leaving the island and just wrestling with the world and just really being present with the suffering of the world and then also holding like these deep teachings of, of seeing everything as grace, you know, and how do we grapple with those in not an easy way that's like just pushing away one or the other, you know? I mean, it's really easy to just to rest and seeing that everything is grace when, you know, maybe you're sitting in a hot tub on Maui or you're walking through the beautiful redwoods, you know, here. But, you know, how real is that? You know, like, can, can we still hold that while still really truly being present with suffering, you know, when we're watching yeah. the news or whatever? And so, you know, I write a lot on my own blog and I've had the opportunity to be published in a few places like the Be Here Now Network and then also even locally, the Holistic Heartbeat. Yeah, my yeah. thing. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And it's not because I have figured out some answer. You know, it's really the writing is my way of just really grappling with what is a kind of a timeless issue of just being able to look at suffering with a sobering kind of you know gaze like a realistic look at it where we're not pushing it away but also you know staying true to our authentic like spiritual heart and not allowing that suffering to close us off either it's it's not it's a very fierce practice it's not an easy practice and so that's become a huge interest of mine yeah and do you feel like that is your life purpose yeah, I I feel like that's at least one part of it. I mean, I'm so besides, you know, offering, you know, kirtan and, and bhakti yoga workshops and things like that, um, you know, there's another part of my life where um, you know, I'm very much engaged with like the social work field. You know, I've worked a lot with people going through like extreme like like youth with like extreme anger issues and other things currently finishing up an MSW program further with that. Um, So, you know, that's really the part of my life that really, you know, works to be present with suffering. 
but that's not something that I do that's separate from my spiritual work. Like that is my spiritual yeah. work, you know. Um, and that was one of Ramdas's really core teachings. And he says this even now that suffering is grace. When he says that, he doesn't mean that as some cop out or spiritual bypass. I mean, he's he he sees it firsthand in his own being of like being in a wheelchair and, and all of these things. But that's like his way of just really encapsulating like these two fiercely, seemingly opposite things in our mind um, and finding a way to, to hold them within. You know, I, I want to find anything I can find that's going to knock me off my center because that shows me where I'm caught. That shows me where I have spiritual work to do. So that, you that. are a strong man. <laughs> I would not call that into my reality. I'm like, I want to be centered. <laughs> I'm like, I like it better here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you'll have to tell us a little bit about some of those things when we come back from break. For right now, it's time for us to take a short break to give a shout out to a local aligned business that I love so very much. And I hope that you do too. This is Josh with Humboldt CBD. I'm here to tell you about our full-spectrum CBD oil, which is made from organic flowering hemp, locally produced, manufactured, and distributed in Humboldt County. We use organic hemp flower under 0.3% THC, which contains a full spectrum of terpenes and beneficial cannabinoids, and this results in the prized entourage effect. Our CBD extract is then blended with organic MCT oil, and we provide a calibrated dropper in every bottle to ensure dosing accuracy. Find us at Wildberries Market, Humboldt Herbals, Natural Medicine on the Plaza, Big Fish Vapor Labs, or go to our website at www.humboldtcbd.org. Welcome back. We really shouldn't have made you not listen to our break because it was incredible. <laughs> of course, the breaks around here are really, really good. But we talked a little bit about the glow girls and shining like little, what is it? Sending shooting stars out your fingers. And receiving. and receiving that love. I love that. You guys check that out. Look into that a little bit more. And... As far as our teachers, we were talking about how our teachers were in connection. So Ram Das, your teacher, and Set Santok, my teacher, actually knew each other back in the day. Yeah. And I think they probably even really knew each other back in the day, if I'm guessing. Tell me a little bit about what you think about that particular lineage of teachers and how they did use psychedelics. And I mean, it was the 70s, and I think a lot of people were experiment experimenting, excuse me, with you know different drugs and, and, and at least cannabis and maybe some psychedelics and different things to open and activate their mind. Because you, you brought up a very good topic, right? right? And you made a very good point. So tell me a little bit, and we'll tell the listeners kind of what we were talking about, about how we might not necessarily need those now. But tell me what you think. Yeah. So in terms of just the interesting time that both of our teachers came from, Right, so you know, Ramdas, you know, before he went to India and got the name, he was known as Richard Alpert and was involved in the Harvard psychedelic experiments with Timothy Leary. Yeah. I mean, well, and realistically, you know, they did do a lot of, you know, profound research that still, you know, when we talk to people about the importance of set and setting, I mean, that all came out of that time in terms of, you know, preparing yourself the best way to get the most out of your trip. All of that came out of their research. 
But ultimately, you know, Ramdas became disillusioned because as many deep spiritual insights as he was getting, you know, he was always coming down. And so when he went to India and he met his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, who he believed and I believe was a Siddha, you know, a perfect being. And he came to this guru because this being, you know, read his mind and like knew seemingly everything about him and then also loved him unconditionally. And so that's what broke him. And that's what, you know, showed him that he found a deeper truth. The other thing that happened, and this is now kind of an infamous story that a lot of people might have read about on the internet. It really is true. One day, his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, said, do you have any medicine? And Ramdas said, I don't know what you mean. Like, he was wondering if he had a headache, like if he wanted Tylenol. He said, no, 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 the yogi medicine. And that's when he realized, that, oh, he means the LSD, which, you know, Ramdas had access to really high quality stuff. He had 900 micrograms, which is more than enough for anyone to have like a really intense trip. There's like, that's not, that's way beyond um, any normal usage. He watched as uh, Neem Karoli Baba took all three of the pills, each one 300 microgram pills, and he watches, he put them all in his mouth and consumed them, and he watches nothing happened. So that's a real story. It's a real story. It really happened. I have heard that story. Let me tell you something real quickly. Yeah. I've heard that story and I've thought about it whenever I feel kind of spiritually out of a line or if I'm around someone who's negative or if I'm just having like a weird day. Because I went through this whole time frame where I felt like, I mean, we're all energy and we interact with one another. And sometimes you get a little nervous and scared about those feelings, right, sure. that you're having because you're so open and you're such a big spiritual um, vessel. And I remember that story. If that dude, what in my head is what I'm thinking, if that dude could trip out on that much acid, which I didn't know and I don't know anything about it, but like if he could do that and be present, then I can be around this person. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I can stay in alignment. So I have heard this story and I use it in my own mind and my little, you know, recall system um, often in my own little brain here. So keep going. I'm sorry. I just wanted to share that with you because yes, it's all coming back around. Well, and I, I've never heard anyone use that story that way. So I I love that. (laughs) I love that. Um, I'm definitely a unique individual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's that's great. I geek out in neuroscience. I spend a lot of time alone. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Me too. Um, so you know that had a strong effect on yeah. Ramdas in terms of, you know, what the capacities for these kind of substances are. And Neem Karoli Baba told him. He said, you know. The sadhus, you know, the rishis, the ancient rishis in the mountains from long ago knew about, like, had things like this. They knew about this. Um, But they did lots of fasting and prayer. You know, there was preparation before they used it. You know, he said that. He said, today no one knows, you know, how to use this properly. He also said, you know, these substances are good. The, The words he used were, they can take you into the room with Christ, but you can only stay for two hours and then you have to leave. However, me- meeting a saint is a good thing, right? He said, but your medicine can't make you become Christ and it's better to become Christ than to meet him. And he said, only love can do that. So it's not that he was putting it down yeah. as a spiritual opener, but he was just saying that, you know, there's better medicine and actually the best medicine is the simplest one. It's just love. And, you know, and that was, that was the teaching. Um, and that's what Ramdas, you know, took from that. And so, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, like your teacher, you know, his time with the Grateful Dead and, um, that was a slightly different scene than, you know, kind of the more East coast, um, kind of Harvard approach to psychedelics and what they did at Millbrook. Um, definitely. Those are still, yeah, they're, definitely. you know, they're very different camps. Like there's mm-hmm. like, you know, early yeah, psychedelic exactly. camps, but you know, they were all, friendly and they all knew each other so you know you see this growing out of it and but it's interesting looking at whether there are people that may have completely stopped using or people that still use Ramdas was never shy about the fact there was a book that came out recently zigzag zen which is all about the relationship with psychedelics in buddhist communities in the united states just interviews with different buddhist teachers 
Ramdas was, I think, the only person in that book that not only did he say he once used them, but that he still does from time to time as like a powerful reminder. And then, of course, there's people that are still all in, but everyone had to evolve in some sense and had to at least change the relationship where it wasn't about a high anymore. It really has to be about our own personal healing and it really has to be about what are like how are we in our day-to-day life mm-hmm. it can't just be about some big experience i think um, the one thing that my teacher really shared with me was that he got to a point with doing all that and traveling and, and living in that age bracket you know and doing what the norm was doing he got to a certain point that he started working with his teacher and realized that you could achieve that through breath and through yoga and through meditation. Right. And that that was the true path of being able to do that without any type of drugs. And, you know, as a practitioner and a healer in our community, I share that with a lot of people who come in right. who are having dependencies on drugs or whatnot right. and helping them recognize that their high that they're trying to achieve is their oneness with God, that right. peace. You know, they're, 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 you hear people running after whatever drug they're on and they want that stillness, that peace. Right. And I share with them, there are other practices that will get you there that's sustainable, that's not damaging to the body. Right. And I think that we're just in an age bracket now, in a time frame now, where we can get instant we can get instantly aligned if we choose. It's easier now than ever. And we're so sensitive that we don't need those kinds of things. Now, I may be wrong, but and I haven't done drugs in, I mean, years and years and years and years. Sure. Because I've been so sensitive. I mean, maybe 20 years. Sure. Because I'm so sensitive that I just can't. It, right. it just doesn't work for me. I need to be in my full alignment in order to sense everything that's going on around me. And I think that at a young age, I tapped into some my own internal DMT through meditation. And mm-hmm. it's just been like a permanent trip since then. Sure. Um, so with that, I don't need anything else to to activate me in any way. And I think if people understand that you can tap into your own natural DMT through meditation, through, you know, whatever you choose, through yoga, through if you need deep breath, if you need really vigorous routine or activity, but you can tap into all that. We have all the chemicals in our bodies, the serotonin, oxytocin, all these things in the body that creates that bliss chemical, that bliss element that people reach for in drugs. And I, I really think that that's, you know, I've been kind of processing through that for about 10 or 15 years now but my teacher in the last two years kind of explained it in a different way but I was like ah you saw it back in the 70s and kind of shifted so not to get too far off topic but uh do you have anything else to say about that before we move on to the things you do to make sure that you are in proper alignment that's good the one other piece um because I do I agree with everything that you said but I don't want to also deny that you know, in a true therapeutic context, like oh, you know, yeah, the work yeah. that MAPS is doing and other things, you know, in terms of like the, the need for like legalization, decriminalization, and, and the fact that, like, you know, veterans with PTSD and other things, I mean, in the right context, when it's not being abused, it can offer tremendous healing to people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm not shedding yeah. like a negative light on it whatsoever. I just don't know enough to speak on those topics. I do work with cannabis. Obviously, everyone knows that. But the other drugs I don't work with. But I do know that there are professionals, like people who got it together, and they microdose with whatever hallucinogenic of their choice. And and that's their thing. I just happen to not be able to do something like that. But uh, I can see where there is benefit and there's more research being done all the time to prove that. I'm definitely not shadowing it in a negative way. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just thanks. Um, I think we agree on that one for certain. So moving on to your personal habits, do you microdose? No, I'm just playing. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, do not answer that question. Um, What are the daily rituals that you do for yourself? So the the root of it is my daily puja, which... And for the listeners that don't know what that is, can you... Yeah, so puja just, the simplest translation is just, it just means worship. But, okay. you know, my practice is sitting in front of my puja table, my altar, where I have my holy beings, people like Neem Kroli Baba and various deities like Hanuman, who's the perfect servant, 
images of Christ and you know, even my teacher Ramdas and just all the beings that open my heart, right? My little sacred space. And I sit and that's where I try and do my sit-down practices. I think it's really good to have a space where you do it and you only do that there, right? It just creates a certain container. If the only thing I do in a day is sing a few simple bhajans or sacred songs or, you know, chant the holy names, then that's good. If that's all I do, you know, and if I have more time, I might sit and meditate or do pranayama. But but really, that's the root is just singing to God in front of my altar. That's like my core daily practice. And that's, you know, in terms of like one message, all of my teachers say this and I found it invaluable it doesn't matter really what it is, but just find whatever daily spiritual practice works for you, whether it's meditation or pranayama or yoga asana practice. But just like, even if it's five minutes, but just do something like daily. Yeah. Because these things work on the background. They're rooting out. It's, and it's not just how we feel on the surface. It's not just about feeling good. These things work out things from like our subconscious mind, like our samskaras, right? Those deep rooted tendencies, those deep impressions. In the work we're doing now, we might not feel the benefits for it for like a few years or even decades, you know, but they work on the background and and you can see a benefit if you just stick to doing a practice. I love that. So you do a practice for yourself and for nourishing self-care recipe that you give for others. It's very similar. You just suggest people, not just suggest. It's a process in finding your spiritual attunement and, and what you want to do for your daily practice, but that's what you're suggesting other people do as well. Yeah, right. and it's and I'm a huge believer in self care. Like I, yeah. I love saunas and you know all of the things that you can do to pamper yourself. Where I see spiritual practice is slightly different, is that like self care is what I do to just keep me feeling good. And if I'm having a hard day, it kind of helps reset. Spiritual practice is you're building a capacity, you're developing a space so that you can meet the stresses and the daily demands of life differently, right? So it's it's working in like in a different way. It's a little bit more proactive in that sense. And both are important. You know, I love like hot water, baths, you know, spending time in nature, all those things are really important. Like we need to do that, but also having a spiritual practice that can help us have a container so that we can hold more and not be so caught off center. I'm with you on that. I think for me, my deepest self-care is the spiritual practice Mm -hmm. because I am, that is what it, I mean, that is self care. Like that is the true root of self care. When you have a deep instilled spiritual practice, I mean, that is like the deepest self that you could nourish. Yeah. Right. And so I focus on those as well. So thank you for sharing that with all of our listeners because yeah, they need to hear that. I think they, they need to start, or I would invite the listeners, I should say, to start forming something like that. Even if it's a philosophy that they want to start working with or just some kind of quiet moments. I know that I also do a lot of self hypnosis Mm. and I, I tend to record my own and listen back to my voice. For some reason that works better for me. Interesting. Have you ever done self hypnosis? I have. I've, well, I've never, I mean, you know, I've listened to like the tapes, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I bet I've never considered, you know, doing hip- it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Tell me what you think. Any of any okay. anybody that's sitting here or listeners, you can write in. And I, oh well, hell, I know what the answer is. It's it's trust. But for some reason, when I listen to a self hypnosis. For some reason, I don't want to go with him. Mm. Like I don't want to go down deep with him. Like they say. You sleep, whatever, you know, I don't want to do it. I'm like, I want to listen to the whole thing on YouTube while I'm alert. Right. Then I trust. What 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 are you programming me with? (laughs) And then I'll do it. So I don't know. Maybe that's a trust thing, but maybe it's also not being gullible too. Sure. You know, because when you're going into something super deep like that, you want to make sure they're programming you correctly. But a lot of deep subconscious work, I do a lot of programming like that. And I don't know how I got off into telling you about that because it's a self-care thing I do. I think that's what it is. Well, Everyone, we're getting to kind of the closing end of our podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I have one more thing I want you to do. Do we have time for this one more thing? Okay, great. So these are what we have everyone do. So this is the Wisdom for Healing cards. They're tarot cards. 
I've li- I listen back to some of the series, and sometimes I say tarot, and sometimes I say tarot. What do you say? I say tarot, ah, but I don't know. That's why I asked. That's why I asked. It's I a don't, little bit different. I don't know if there's a right I, way to say it's, it. I think it's one of those tomatoes, tomatoes. Okay. It's like different parts of the country. Sure. Yeah. So um, anyhow, you will, if you'd like, you can shuffle them okay. and then find the one that fits you best. And you can just scan them energetically or just Great. visually, whatever color you like. All right. While you're doing that, it's back to the old singing bowl for me. I haven't done it in a really long time. So, and story goes, I just bang on it. so good did you find one yeah my card says spend oh. the day with god <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> that's pretty good you know what that is so crazy because that's the one i drew earlier before you got here to put myself at peace wow that is crazy wow okay it's just one of those days it's just one of those things synchronicity would you like to describe the card to people? Maybe the first, the front has a pretty picture and then you can read us the lesson of the day. Yeah, there's a woman with just very interesting patterned clothing um, kneeling down in, you know, like a prayer position and her hands are clasped and her eyes are closed. There's a lot of really beautiful like green and kind of like turquoise colors and blues in the background has a lot of soothing colors and the card says this is a day for you to spend with god a day of prayer a day of silence imagine that your entire world is a sacred chapel every inch of your life is filled with grace and the presence of the divine your goal to visualize yourself in the company of heaven every minute of the day and that's beautiful it's amazing it's beautiful. We're doing soft claps over here. Just soft claps. What's the spirit fingers? We're doing spirit fingers. Oh my god. That's amazing. That's perfect. That makes me want to go take a walk in the forest, yeah. doesn't it? Okay, what do you think? How does that card resonate with you and your message for today? This is actually a really good way to fill out what I've been talking about because there's the way I see it, there's kind of two ways to talk about this great mystery we call God. One is the way I talked about it earlier, which is the fact that it's that depth of presence that is eternal and it's not the part of us that is fluctuating like our emotions or our physical body or our thoughts. But what this is talking about is that your entire world is a sacred chapel and every inch of your life is filled with grace and the presence of the divine. And that's the other part of it is, you know, you can go in and in and in, right? It's not this, it's not this, it's not the body, it's not the mind. And you can rest in that space. But then once you do that, you see that it's actually everywhere. So that eternal consciousness of love, that is this desk. And that is this cup of water. And that is you, Pepper, sitting across from me. Um, And it's the way the light hits the table. And it's even these scratches on the desk, right? It's all of it. And and it's it's true. This is actually one of Ramdas's core teachings is that we really can love everything we can cultivate that space so that we can experience love for this desk the same way I do for this plant as this cup of water because it really is all a manifestation of God. Likewise, that includes even our innermost thoughts, even the thoughts that we don't really like to talk about or that we're scared of. Even that is a manifestation of the goddess, right, of the divine. You know, Ramdas often says that he loves his wheelchair and like he means it. And he's earned that, you know, because that wheelchair has caused him suffering, but he means it, you know, he loves it. That's, this is a real space. God is, God is everywhere. It's who we are. And it's the totality of our experience. Thank you. Very well said. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank Talking you. about some geeked out quantum physics. Or that's where my mind's going. I'm like, <laughs> you know why you love all those things? Because, okay, anyways. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. So tell me real quickly before we go, how can we get a hold of you if someone wants to do Kirtan or if they want to do the Bhakti Yoga workshop or if they want to find out more about your blog? Because I do. I personally do. And we'll have all this information over on the QuantumAlignmentPodcast.com page. But can you share with people how to get a hold of you? 
Yes, yeah, so the quickest and easiest way is my website is sitaramdas.com. And that has my tour schedule. Besides doing things locally, I also travel to do kirtan um, and workshops. And also, I really committed myself to do at least one writing every month for my blog. And so that has my writings. It also has my music. You know, I have a couple of CDs out. All of that's available there. Locally in the community, I do kirtans every few months. I don't have anything regular. But uh, Shamaya and I have our bhakti yoga immersion. We do it every spring. And then we're starting to do kind of a one-day bhakti yoga workshop for people who might not want to do a full immersion. And our first one is going to be this fall, but we're planning to do that yearly also. Great. Oh, I'm so excited for you. You're doing so many wonderful things and you have so many offerings that you're doing, not just in our community, but around the world. And I appreciate you for taking the time to be here today. And hopefully you've helped someone, one of the listeners, even myself actually, get one step closer to aligning their selves, their highest self with the mental, the physical, emotional, and spiritual bodies And to the listener, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, I'm your host, Dr. Pepper Hernandez. Have a magical, wonderful day, and let's try to make this your very best week ever. This episode has been brought to you by the office dog, Riley Guru. <laughs>